This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care veterinary specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us. Today, you guys are in for a treat because we're going to be speaking to a veterinary nutritionist, Dr. Lindsay Bullen. We'll be right back after these messages. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Today, you guys have the honor of hearing from Dr. Lindsay Bullen, who is one of just a few veterinary nutritionists out there. Dr. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me back. So, before we begin, not only are you a veterinarian, but you're also board certified in nutrition. First of all, how many board certified specialists in the world are there in nutrition? Oh, that's an awesome question. It's been a while since I've calculated. Um, It's important to keep in mind that there is an American College of uh, Nutrition. There's also a European College. So in terms of the American College, there have been about 100, maybe a little more of us, um, more than 100 that have been boarded in the past 20, 30 years. And of those 100, the majority work in industry or academia. So there's really only a handful of us that are working in private practice. Amazing. Great resource. And you guys are one of my go-to when it comes to all things nutrition. Now, just so our audience knows a little bit more about you, tell me who you are, where you train, what you do. So as you said, my name is Lindsay, and I did all of my training at NC State in North Carolina. I was fortunate enough to meet my wonderful husband, Nathan, in undergrad, and I did not want to leave him to go to vet school. So I was also fortunate enough to get into vet school at NC State, where I did my undergrad degree, my doctor of veterinary medicine. I stayed on for a rotating medical and surgical internship that did focus on nutrition. I stayed for an additional two years of a nutrition residency and then another year for a nutrition postdoc. So in the words of my husband, I was in school for way too long studying nutrition. I love what you guys do and so appreciative to have nutritionists out there just to make sure that we're optimizing our dog and cat and all our species health. Now, what I wanted to talk about are prescription diets. I will say there's a lot of good resources out there and there's a lot of bad resources out there. And I just wanted to say many clients and some veterinarians believe that veterinary prescription diets are a scam. They believe it's just a way for veterinarians to get more money. First of all, is it a scam? What's going on here? 
Yes. Yeah, so it is not a scam, <laughs> but I, I do get that question a lot. And there's a lot that goes into it, you know, depending on the specific question. Basically, the actual profit that a veterinarian or a veterinary group gets from prescription diets is tiny. I mean, it's absolutely tiny because if we tried to make a profit from the prescriptive diet, it just would not be, you know, affordable or, or cost effective for clients. And the truth is, it, it isn't cost effective for many of our clients. So it is not a scam because there is such a poor profit margin, but it is, you know, costly, but there's a lot of reasons why it is costly. Tell me the difference between a prescription diet and just a regular supermarket diet that you may buy like at a pet store or at a grocery store. Yeah, that's an awesome question. So a prescriptive diet is going to be available, um, as it you know sounds, by prescription only from a veterinarian. So that means that it can't come from a nurse or a technician. It should not be sold without having a pet evaluated. And typically it is prescribed or given to a pet parent because that pet has been diagnosed with something, you know, some disease or some condition. So when we think about foods that we get in grocery stores or in pet superstores like Petco or PetSmart or or wherever, you know, one is going to buy their food, those are intended for adult maintenance. Those are intended for, you know, puppy or kitten growth. Those are intended for reproduction. So they are not intended for any pet that has any sort of disease state whatsoever. They are basically considered otherwise healthy and normal. Um, they just have, you know, a very specific physiologic state, if you will. So, you know, growth, reproduction, or adult maintenance. And so again, you know, if you go to that grocery store, if there's a prescription in there, it's not supposed to be in there. Even though I do know of some people that order prescriptive diets from, you know, places online without a prescription, that actually isn't supposed to be the way that it happens. And that is because, you know, unless a pet parent has extensive medical training, most of the time they, you know, our pet parents don't feel comfortable or have the background knowledge to appropriately and accurately diagnose their pets and then to take it further to appropriately and accurately come up with a medical, nutritional, and sometimes surgical therapy for their pet. You know, I will say in full disclosure that I have my cat on a really costly, expensive, but amazing prescription diet. My cat has severe food allergies and my cat's on a diet called Royal Canin Ultimino. And it is pricey, but it's the only thing that prevents my cat from itching and losing all her fur. So please know that prescription diets are designed for a medical reason. There are really important different types of diets out there. You always want to consult with your veterinarian. When in doubt, if you don't trust your veterinarian, find another veterinarian or go to a credible resource. I always say credible resources end with a .edu or .org, right? So those are the gold standard where you want to go to look for information. But you can always consult with one of the approximately 100 board-certified veterinary nutritionists out there. So first of all, what are some resources that pet owners can go to? Do you mind telling me, is there one specifically to find a nutritionist? And can you also tell me about the resources available on VetScoop? Because I know you're part of a group of leading veterinarians who provide real talk resources for pet advice. 
Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought VetScoop up. So as you said, VetScoop is an amazing group. You know, the majority of us were volunteering our time to basically provide reliable, accessible, and accurate information for pet parents everywhere. So I do encourage our pet parents to check it out. It's VetScoop, like a scoop of delicious ice cream.com. And on VetScoop, there's a library, there's a blog on all different topics, not just nutrition. It is important for pet parents to keep in mind we're relatively new, so there's always room for more blogs, always room for more, you know, information that we can provide. But that's going to be a really great resource. I love your point where you said, if you don't trust your vet, find a new one. Veterinary professionals, whether it's a veterinarian themselves or the nurse or the technician are going to be wonderful resources, you know, for pet parents everywhere. But you have to be able to trust the information that they're providing. Other really good resources, if you are looking for a board certified nutritionist, such as myself, would be the directory. So, acvn.org backslash directory. That's the American College of Veterinary Nutrition.org backslash directory. You can find nutritionists all over the country that are, you know, accepting clients and cases right now. Other really good resources are going to be the American Animal Hospital Association, the World Small Animal Veterinary Association, and Pet Nutrition Alliance. Really, really great resources. Thank you so much. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about prescription diets. Why are prescription diets considered to be expensive by many clients? I just told you, I totally get it. Like I pay a lot of money for my cat's prescription diets, but why are they physically more expensive? Yeah, that's another amazing question. And I, I want to be, you know, very transparent for the pet parents that are listening as well. I've got three pets at home and every single one of them is on a prescriptive diet too. And that isn't because I get a discount on them. It's because all of them have different disease processes or issues that benefits from having a tailored nutritional approach. So the answer to your question of why they are considered expensive is going to be multifactorial in nature. So kind of the, the first part, which I apologize, kind of answers one of the questions you asked earlier is, you know, these are considered an adulterated drug. So the Food, Drug and Cosmetics Act basically tried to help create guidelines to make, you know, food, drugs, cosmetics safe. And so when pet food came along and they were prescriptive diets, they were like, okay, well, what do we even do with this? So then what they had to do is the FDA came up with a compliance policy guideline that says, you know what? pet food isn't considered an adulterated drug that is technically subject to regulatory action. However, if these things are prescribed under the guidance of a licensed veterinarian, then we will turn our eye, we will turn our eye to it. So kind of pulling that back in, you know, why are these considered expensive? To make sure that these drugs, these adulterated drugs are working the way that they are supposed to, that they're not just, you know, yeah, okay, your pet does okay on it, but they are truly helping with the disease process. They're truly helping our pets thrive when they're ill. That takes a lot of research. It takes a lot of expertise. It takes a lot of testing. And all of those things cost money. So when we think about the PhD nutritionist and the master nutritionists and the board certified nutritionists such as myself that are working on a single product. And then when we think about quality control measures, you know, such as ingredient testing before it even comes onto the facility site or pathogen testing to make sure there's no bacteria or, you know, contamination, all of those things cost money to ensure that the products are safe for our pets. And then it has to go a step further to ensure that they work the way that they are supposed to. That is why these drugs cost more money because of all of those things that go into making this safe, effective for our beloved pets. 
there's a lot of what they call R&D, research and development that goes into the science behind it. And if you ask any veterinarian or any credible veterinarian, they always want you to feed a food that is AFCO approved and has an R&D department that is not only making sure that the science is accurate, that it's medically appropriate for your pet, that it treats underlying medical conditions appropriately, especially if it's prescription, and that there's toxicology testing involved with it too. As a toxicologist, you want to make sure there's a lot of scientists, a lot of PhDs, a lot of veterinary nutritionists when it comes to making sure that you're feeding the safest product out there. You're absolutely right. You know, anytime a new pet food comes on the market, I don't instantly shut it down because that's where everybody started, right? Like everybody started with an idea, but it takes time, investment, and expertise to make a product great. And so many of these starter companies don't have an R&D department. Many of them don't even have a nutritionist on staff. A lot of them are starting to consult with nutritionists, which is great, but you know, it is a work in progress. And to your point that it's great and it's important and it's necessary for these diets to have AFCO claims, that is absolutely 100% true for our maintenance diets. But the other thing that pet parents need to keep in mind is that prescription diets might have a weird AFCO claim. So for example, my sweet little kitty, Ida, the big floofy cat, if you listened on one of our last podcasts, she has chronic kidney disease and inflammatory bowel disease. And her diet says intended for intermittent and supplemental feeding only. And so what that tells me is that if she was a normal cat, that would be inappropriate to feed her because it does not meet maintenance needs. But I have to keep in mind, especially as a nutritionist, I'm not trying to meet her maintenance needs. I am trying to keep her kidneys alive by restricting certain nutrients. So it is okay for them to have you know different AFCO guidelines, but that is another reason why it's so, so important for veterinarians to be involved. Because if my other cat ate her diet, it, she would potentially get sick because of nutrient deficiencies. Talked about kidney disease. I've already talked about food allergies, but what other diseases out there seen in dogs and cats could warrant a prescription diet? I love that question because the answer is quite literally anything. Any disease state, any you know condition that causes concern for a pet parent can potentially be treated partially or completely with nutrition. So, you know, for example, when I think about the diets that I most commonly see, um, and, and you had brought up food allergies with your kitty, I have a slightly overweight cat. So she benefits from a prescriptive diet because that diet is augmented with essential nutrients so that I'm not creating a nutrition deficiency when I'm restricting her calories. My dog has uh, skin and GI issues associated with chicken and beef. And so she benefits, um, similar to your kitty, from a hypoallergenic diet. Again, I've got my other kitty that has underlying GI disease and kidney disease, critical care, cancer, cognitive dysfunction, urinary disease, you know, just even simple gastroenteritis, pancreatitis, you know, the, the list goes on and on, joint disease, uh, like you come up with a disease, even hyperthyroidism, any disease can benefit from a tailored nutrition approach, truly. All right. Now, when it comes to prescription diets, there are often different brands for certain diseases. So there's several kidney diets out there. Are all prescription diets for the same disease similar? Like, do you mind just elaborating on that? Yeah, absolutely. So they are and they aren't. And I realize that's super wishy-washy. But so for example, when we think about kidney disease, we need to think about what we're trying to accomplish with a 
kidney or a renal diet. So with kidney disease, the kidneys are not able to excrete or eliminate certain toxins from the body. And typically when I think of things I'm trying to restrict in a diet, that's going to be phosphorus first, potentially protein, potentially potassium that could go up or down, and then sodium. So really when you take a look at kidney diets all throughout the board, they tend to be lower in phosphorus, lower in sodium, lower in protein. But the differences are going to be based on the manufacturer's philosophies and you know what they're trying to accomplish. So for example, Royal Canin products, which I, I really like, tend to be a little bit lower in potassium. So if I have a cat or a dog that has very high potassium associated with their kidney disease, I can choose one that will help them. Whereas you know Hills products tend to be a little bit higher in potassium. That's neither good nor bad. But when I have a pet that has low potassium associated with their kidney disease, I can go ahead and reach for that. So the beautiful thing is that they are all trying to treat the same disease process, but they are using slightly different nutrient profiles, which allows us as veterinary professionals to truly tailor our nutritional approach to get these pets and these patients the best therapies that they need. Fantastic information. Now, I did want to talk, we've talked about some of the diseases with these prescription diets and the differences between them. If a pet is prescribed a prescription diet, does that mean that they're like doomed to be on it forever? Are they going to, you know, be spending thousands of dollars for the rest of their life on this diet? Do you mind just talking about some of those points? Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, kind of like everything else I've said on here, it truly depends on the individual. Your sweet kitty that's on Ultimino is probably doomed to be on Ultimino or another hypoallergenic diet for the remainder of their life because that is what keeps their disease process controlled. Whereas my fat kitty, if I can finally get her to lose the weight that I'm trying to get her to lose, she doesn't necessarily have to be on that long term just during her active weight loss phase. You know, similarly with gastroenteritis, if it's, you know, um, just a, a one time event, I will probably put a patient or a pet on what is called a highly digestible or a low residue type diet temporarily while their tummy you know, is settling. And then they can oftentimes be transitioned back to their normal diet. Or if they get pancreatitis and it's a single event because of garbage can gut or whatever it is, they will often benefit from a low fat diet. And then I might be able to transition them off. So it really truly depends on what the pet has going on. But you know, again, kind of pulling my kiddos into it. My one cat with kidney disease, she's doomed to be on that forever. My dog that has food allergies, she's unfortunately doomed to be on that forever. My fat cat, if I can just get her to lose the weight, she's not doomed to be on that forever. We'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends, leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still, 
A Thoughtful Guide and Remembrance Journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. We've been speaking with Dr. Lindsay about prescription foods for dogs and cats. We've been talking about the underlying medical conditions like food allergies, kidney disease, inflammatory bowel disease, liver failure, and a host of other problems medical-wise that could require that your dog or cat be on a prescription diet. Like we already mentioned, both of us have our pets on some prescription diet, so we get it. But there's a reason because there's science behind these prescription diets. Now, the next question I had when it came to diets, what if you have a hard time, you were told to feed a prescription diet and your dog or cat just won't eat it? What do you do then? Do you have any hints? So the good news is that for most of the disease processes out there, multiple manufacturers, you know, have their own version of that. So I keep bringing kidney disease in because that's what my cat has. So Royal Canin has their renal support. Hills has their KD line. Purina has their NF line. Blue Buffalo has their K plus M. You know, there's a lot of prescriptive options through different manufacturers. So if your pet's subsidizing one, there's different flavors, different forms, different protein sources, different, you know, uh, olfactory senses that can help them potentially stay on a therapeutic diet or a prescriptive diet just from a different manufacturer. But if that fails, then there are nutritionists such as myself that can be implemented to create a tailored homemade diet for those pets out there that are no longer willing or able to eat their prescriptive options. I have been secretly hoarding my cat's prescription food because of supply chain. During COVID, it was really hard to get certain types of food. Do you mind just speaking to that? What do we do in that situation? Or what should a pet parent do if their pet's diet is potentially backordered? Yeah, that is unfortunately something that everybody is having to go through. And again, you know, I I empathize with pet parents everywhere because I've got three kiddos, three fur kiddos, I should say, that are on prescriptive diets. And almost every single month, you know, it's backordered and there's a delay. It's incredibly challenging and frustrating. So I think one of the most important things to keep in mind is that it, it's not the manufacturer's fault. It is frustrating from a pet parent perspective. And it can be really easy for us to lash out at people, especially when we're upset and our resilience is low because the pandemic just won't stop. But being gracious, being patient, that's the only thing, you know, that we can really do in that situation. You know, keeping in mind that it's, again, it's not the manufacturers. It tends to come from the supply itself, you know, whether they have COVID or, you know, if, if fish, they can't get a good quality source of venison, for example. So the thing to do, if you notice that your pet is starting to run out of food, easier said than done. I'm guilty of it too. You know, if your pet is halfway through the bag, that is actually the time to order your next bag. Don't wait till you've got one cup left. Again, I'm guilty of that. I do that all the time, which is kind of embarrassing because I'm a nutritionist. But when you see that you're halfway through, go ahead and place that next order because that gives you the opportunity to place subsequent orders if they get canceled for something that's back ordered. The other thing that you can do, again, is if you notice something is back ordered or you you haven't had luck finding it, is to reach out to your veterinarian. They are a wealth of information. And if they don't feel comfortable um, or that you know they're qualified, they can refer you to a nutritionist such as myself, and then we can help you find 
something else. So for example, Hills has multiple KD options. They've got tuna, they've got chicken, they've got beef, they've got lamb, they've got with mobility, without mobility. So just because one is backordered doesn't mean there is another that's backordered. And there might be a suitable replacement within that same manufacturer. If not, you might have to look at a different manufacturer. Keeping in mind, again, if your pet doesn't get that transition, there could be a little bit of issue. But talking to your veterinarian, talking to a nutritionist, if you absolutely have to, you know, you can consider it a homemade diet. You can consider something temporary, but it, it's challenging. It's truly challenging, but communication and early recognition is going to be key to trying to, to help everybody out during these supply chain issues. That's so funny that you wait till one cup. I have like literally four or five bags <laughs> that I rotate. Don't it's get me wrong. I've got, I've got like an extra bag now because I was like, oh my gosh, I need to stop doing this. I'm a, I'm a but, food holder. Yeah. I'll admit it just because of supply chain. Well, Dr. Lindsay, thank you so much. Love what you do and so appreciative. You know, it is so important that pet owners have a credible source that they can trust when it comes to feeding their four-legged family members and so appreciative of you coming on today. Oh, Dr. Justine, thank you so much again for having me. As always, it is a pleasure and an honor to be a guest on your show. I really enjoy the time that we can share together. Thank you so much. And you guys can always find Dr. Lindsay on vetscoop.com. So you can definitely check her out there. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook or Instagram at drjustinelee, or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time. And again, we want to thank board-certified veterinary nutritionist, Dr. Lindsay Bullen, and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. Keep your pets healthy, and we'll see you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.